hello and welcome back to deviant little darlings i'm katie and i'm olivia and if you love hearing stories about all things taboo scandalous and out of this world you are in the right place well welcome everybody (laughs) i'm not sure um how my audio if it might sound any different i'm actually at a new room right now than i usually record i'm at my sister's house so it's a really shout cute out. room. <laughs> yeah, there's little pink hearts on the wall. It's super cute. Um, but yeah, shout out Alex. Thanks for letting me record here. Our number one fan. Our number one fan. Um, the only downside is that I'm sitting on the floor because there oh. wasn't um, the room that I'm in doesn't have any tables, but it's fine. And we're well. I feel like a lot of like podcasters record in like weird places. Like I feel like we're just lucky that we have like desks. desks. Like I yeah like. A lot of people record their podcasts in their closets for some reason. I know. Reason. Maybe the acoustics, like, you know, when you're in the shower and the acoustics are just way better, mm-hmm. maybe closet mm-hmm. closed spaces, maybe that's supposed to be a thing. Are we like doing something wrong? Oh my Should gosh, we be in our this closets? is so embarrassing. <laughs> we don't know anything about God. podcasting. <laughs> We're on episode 31 and we just, <laughs> wow. we don't know anything. <laughs> I mean, did we do any research before starting this? Maybe not no <laughs> but we still did it anyways we're here we made it absolutely we're doing great we are <laughs> you're doing great katie katie's been doing so much fun stuff with instagram lately it hasn't been out yet but by the time this episode's out you'll see it um it's just lots of ideas so huge just, shout out guys procrastinating for finals is all i want to do <laughs> um so i i'm doing that by giving you a lot of content hopefully so look out you're welcome world yeah well <laughs> speaking of fabulous content should we get into our stories absolutely i think you're up right yes i think so and i told katie beforehand mine's i feel like mine's long i don't know maybe it's short but i'm gonna try to go through it kind of quickly <laughs> It works either way, either way. Either way. Okay, so this week I'm going to talk about the first great mystery in American history. So <gasps> Ooh, that rhymes. A rhyme? And it's a tongue twister. Uh, but no, I'm talking about the Roanoke Disappearing Colony. <gasps> yes. Okay, and I, for this some reason, I thought maybe, Katie, I thought you had done this at some point. I don't know why. Probably because you've done things in the, you know east coast quite a bit oh yeah no no no. but i like i get that vibe you know yeah like i i have i've done a lot of uh new england kind of stuff yeah so so i had to like go back and check but yeah so a little disclaimer <laughs> this is just going to be an overview because there's so much information particularly on wikipedia like all the other websites kind of also just give an overview but wikipedia it's like every name of every person involved with like the colonization of that part of the country and all these ships and all these commands like it's (laughs) very deep so um all right yeah so this is just an overview of like the main events and then a bulk of it is kind of like the theories because once we kind of hear what happens we can start to speculate because like i said this is a mystery Mm. All right, so let's start from the beginning. So Queen Elizabeth I had chartered Sir Walter Riley to launch colonization expeditions to the New World. Um, And uh, I don't know if it's pronounced Raleigh or Riley, Um, but he sent um, a man named Humphrey Gilbert to claim St. John's Newfoundland in 1583. In 1585, they also sent a man named Ralph Lane to lead the Chesapeake Bay expedition in Virginia. 
So this was a really big mission because Queen Elizabeth was trying to establish the first English colonies in the New World. Because um, at this time, it was mostly just Spanish and Portuguese colonies. Um, but unlike St. John's Newfoundland's huge success um, of colonization, which I don't know if you'd call it a success, but it, it, it's, it they got there. <laughs> um, Ralph Lane had troubles. So he and his crew actually stopped early at Roanoke Island before le- uh, landing on Chesapeake Bay. And so they just decided to stay there and colonize that island instead. And this led to several problems. Um, first of all, they di- they were landing on an island that was already owned and you know ruled by indigenous people. Um, they didn't <laughs> even get to the mainland at all. So they had lots of conflicts. And they also didn't have the same access they, they were expecting to have on the mainland. So they were running out of food, supplies, um, all these different things. To make matters worse, Ralph Lane, he was trained um, in the military and he was told to colonize using military tactics. So he came in like very hostile from the beginning. Um, so not a very good environment, not very welcoming, not, you know. Yeah, we hate that. We hate what happened there. Um, but so did they. So they actually left. They were like, mm, never mind. And they went back to England, like all of them. Oh, they weren't about it. Okay. No. But Queen Elizabeth wasn't happy either. Um, she wanted to try to do it again. But this time she was like, okay, we got to get to Chesapeake Bay on the mainland because they weren't even supposed to go to Roanoke. So she had some ideas on how to do it differently. And this time, instead of taking a militaristic approach, she's like, guys, I have the perfect guy for the job. His name is John White, and he's a watercolor artist. And I'm sure everyone was like, mm, are you sure about that? Uh, but she was like (laughs) she was like absolutely he was a passenger on the first voyage like he's been there um like he's the man for the job and he's gonna be the new governor now of wherever you land Hmm. so in 1587 john white and his crew of 115 other settlers who are mostly middle class um families from london um end up setting sail back to the americas on the way there, White and his fleet of three ships tried to stay coordinated, but they ended up getting a little separated. Um, and this is where there's like a lot of information online where I get confused about the different ships and the different commands and what each ship was supposed to do and, and why they got they got separated. But they ended up settling on Roanoke Island again. Okay. Yeah. So they didn't get to Chesapeake Bay either. Um, but then only a month after getting there, they started to face a lot of conflicts with the natives. And again, they had supply shortages. So, you know, same thing. Um, the previously attempted settlement from Ralph Lane was totally in shambles and people were starting to die. So John White, because they still had like the buildings and everything from when Ralph settled there, mm-hmm. but um, like the people weren't there. So John White decides to go back to England again um, after only a month in the North America, you know, area to get supplies. And he ends up leaving behind his pregnant daughter, Eleanor White Dare, and his granddaughter, Virginia Dare, which, fun fact, was the first baby born in North America to English parents. Oh. Wow. Okay, so right when White gets back to England, unfortunately, a war breaks out between England and Spain, and they require all vessels to be temporarily used to fight Spain's armada. So it takes three years for White to be able to return to Roanoke with all the supplies that they needed. And I mean, if you're desperately 
trying on a, going on a voyage to get supplies and food and things. Yeah. And it takes three years. Yeah, well, that doesn't bode well. No, I would not have high hopes for that return. So in 1519, he finally was able to make his way back home. But when he gets there, things are not how he left them. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So no one, including his daughter and granddaughter, is left at the Roanoke Colony. Like, not a single person is on the island. Uh. But there is one set of skeletal remains of a man. Just one. Okay. Okay. So, you know, uh, what's his name? John White. He had instructed the colony to leave behind a message if something dangerous had happened while he was away. Again, he was only thinking it was going to be like the length of a normal voyage. He didn't think it was going to be three years. Sure. Sure, sure. Um, and the message he w- they were supposed to leave was a cross with four arrows pointing inward. So John started to search the island for this message, but all he found was a fence post with the letters C-R-O carved into them. So what does that yep. What does that mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crow? Well, he believed this stood for Croatoan, which is an island 50, sorry, 50 miles south. And his suspicion ended up being confirmed because they found another tree with the word, the full word Croatoan carved into its bark. Ooh. So he did the, you know, the normal thing I think we all would do. He packed up his ship again and he tried to sail down to the Croatoan island to look for his family in the lost colony because it's the only clue that they have in this entire disappearance. Yeah, that's a logical thing to do. Yeah, but this guy just has like really bad luck when it comes to voyages because he got stopped by an awful storm, not once, but twice trying to go down there. What? So, and it was what, 50 miles? Yeah, it was 50 miles. Like they were, I think, neighboring islands. Like, yeah, it was kind of far, but not that far. But like it's like so close, but so far. Yeah, like he literally made it here from England. Like it's just a little bit further. Ugh. Um, and then he ended up not being able to sail a third time because he was borrowing the boat and it was like privately owned and he was forced to go back to England and he left everyone behind his whole family and he never returned again. What? Yes. So that was it. That was the last time anyone had ever seen. That wasn't even the last time. The last time anyone had seen anyone was when he left three years prior to go. So was he like the only person on this ship that returned? No, I don't think so. Like there were other, were there other like witnesses to this craziness? Yeah, I think so. There had to be. be, But um, because I don't think he could have sailed alone. You're right. I don't know. (laughs) They were, people weren't doing that yet. I don't think. (laughs) But yeah. So no one, no one was there and. The only evidence was that word. He never even made it to the island. So now we're going to get into the theories of what happened. And there are a lot of theories. So I'm going to try to go into each one. Some of them cool. don't doesn't have any evidence. So I'm just going to like list them but not explain it because <laughs> you'll see. Perfect. Okay. So the first theory is that maybe the colony was murdered by a native tribe. So... We already know that the colonists from 1583 through 1586 on that first voyage had issues with the Native Americans in the area. 
In fact, Ralph Lane actually killed um, Wingina, I think is how you pronounce it. And he was the king of a local tribe. So they were doing all this while they tried to settle their group there and they had this horrible conflict. Um, And I remember, or remember I said earlier that he was like very militaristic kind of guy. He took that approach. So Mm -hmm. this settlement was not peaceful to begin with. So it's very possible that this tribe became hostile or violent towards the next group of colonizers from England because that's what they had just experienced like three years earlier with the other group. Yeah. Um, but again, there is no grave and no bodies to prove this mass killing. So that's hmm. kind of, yeah, that one often gets, you know, debunked because of that. Unless they're in like, I mean, it's an island. So there's the ocean. ocean. Yeah. And it's also like the 1500s. So like, how did they really look? Like, did they excavate the entire right. island? You know, right. But I guess since then... And, like, if he was gone for three years, like, the likelihood that you would still, like, who knows when it happened. Like, That's true. Like, if they buried them two years ago. Yeah. And, um, well, the other thing is, I know this area is, like, to this day constantly being, like, examined and and searched. And, like, people are still looking mm-hmm. for this kind of stuff. Um, so, I think if there was, I feel like there would still be some kind of, like, bones or skill. I don't know. You think? I don't know. I just... I don't know how things, like, decompose, uh, but... I don't either. But I feel like bones take a long time. I mean, probably, probably. so... Probably. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, okay, proceed. The next theory is actually my favorite theory, and I think it's probably what happened. And the next two are kind of, like, related, so I'll go into it. So the next theory is that the Roanoke Colony actually relocated to another area. Oh. So the original Reunoke expedition was supposed to be at Chesapeake Bay, you know, inland. And John White was on that original failed expedition, like I said. So, you know, he was not only like a random governor, he was an artist. And when he was on that first expedition, he actually created an incredibly detailed map of their destination, including like the Virginia and North Carolina bays, which I mean, they weren't called that at the time. Um, But it had like the inland bays and then it had Roanoke Island and Croatoan Island. And so this map, this beautiful uh, drawn map, it actually was like insanely accurate. And he left it with the colony when he went on the like the next voyage back to get supplies. So many think that they may have followed his drawing to a new island in search of more supplies while he was gone because he took so long. Um, Yeah. And in fact, in 2012, the British Museum inspected the map and they found two small patches. Um, They assumed it was little patches that they used to cover mistakes because that was like a, Mm -hmm. they didn't have erasers. So that was kind of how they covered stuff up. But they found that behind one of the patches was a blue and red star symbol that they believed was used to mark some kind of fort or some kind of like territory. Oh. Right. So this is very not treasure, um, but it gets even more like a Nicolas Cage movie because the British (sighs) Museum also believes that they may have found traces of invisible ink on top of the patch. Stop. Used to highlight the location, meaning that whoever covered it attempted to hide the location from someone, but still needed others to see it. Stop it right now. Mm. That is way too good. It's so cool. I literally think I have chills. It's so cool. And so... 
Um, this could have been an attempt to break free from the British and set up an independent colony. So interesting. Yeah, okay. I mean, they definitely. I feel like it's really possible that they just left the area because we know that the area was it was you know they were terrible to the indigenous people. They created this conflict. They had no supplies. They yeah. they probably just wanted to get out of there. You know, this guy John White wasn't coming back. Yeah, they were probably like, this dude ditched us. Yeah, so they're like, got to move on, but we don't want, you know, maybe they didn't want people from the tribe following them. We don't know, but they didn't want someone to follow them. And yeah. they just left. Also, pottery and artifacts from England were found later on in the area that was marked by the star. But hmm. it's hard to say with certainty that those pieces came from exactly that time frame. It could have been like hundreds of years later. Yeah, but I like, guess. it's still from that era. But like, I'm inclined to believe it. I'm very inclined to believe that one. The next theory is that they may have assimilated to a native tribe somewhere, and this one also gets like a ton of attention. A lot of people believe in this one. Yeah. Um. Some proof with this is that there was a man named Manteo. He was a native man, and he actually traveled back to England in 1584. Um, after that first failed attempt of colonization. Uh, and then he ended up coming back with John White for the second colonization trip in eight, 1587. Okay. Yeah. So like the first guy who came, it was all military guy. He took Ma- Monteo back with him to England. And then John White took Monteo back to Roanoke with him when, when he came with the 115 So they might people. have had like a liaison. Yeah. Yeah. So Monteo um, ended up assimilating to the England traditions and he was even like baptized and everything. And when he got to Roanoke, John White declared Monteo the new chief of both the Roanoke and the Croatoan tribes. But the problem with that is that's really not his call to make. Like John White has no influence in either of those areas. Like he's just this stranger. Um, and to make yeah. things worse, Monteo wasn't even from the Roanoke tribe. He was just from the Croatoan tribe. So when he got back to the Croatoan island where he was from, it's possible that he may have gone back to Roanoke for the English people and brought them with him to his home island. So that would explain maybe why... Seems plausible. Yeah, plausible. That would maybe explain why Croatoan was carved on the tree and um, remember, John White didn't even make it over there to look for them. So they could have just been there the whole time and he just didn't make it to see. Yeah. Um, and people have also reported seeing members of the Croatoan tribe with light hair and light eyes, which could be the English settlers having, you know, mixing their DNA from generations. And yeah, could be yeah. like a sign. Um, but mm-hmm. then in 1888... 54 uh, Croatoan people went to England to seek aid and claim that they were the descendants of the lost colony. So people are like straight up saying like, yeah, like I am from the, you know, I'm a, a not so sounds weird, but like a product of these two cultures mixing. Sure. Um, And then even more so in 2015, archaeologists found buried artifacts from colonial America on the land where the Croatoan natives were living at the time of Roanoke's disappearance. So 
again, these artifacts may have been from a later settlement. We don't know exactly the date, um, or if we can't confirm that's exactly Roanoke stuff. Um, but they were they were confirmed to be of within a hundred years of that time frame. Going back to the one where people said that they were their descendants, like yeah, how would they? I mean, unless this is like. They told the story of like the failed settlers and they thought it would be like interesting to go to England and like lie. But like, why would anyone do that? Yeah, I don't. Well, so they were seeking aid. So I think I think people would be like, oh, they just were like trying to get something. But I feel like if you like if you're from those like small tribes, stories get passed on for for generations and you would probably like know if this happened in your own, you know, culture in your own tribe. That's true. So I feel like that's true. Yeah. I feel like if anyone were to know, they would know. Exactly. Um, and then the last, I have a couple more, but they are all a little bit more outrageous. So those are all the realistic ones. Oh. Um, wait, so, so before we go into the crazy ones, what, which one do you think it is? I feel like it makes, well, I'm torn. I would like to believe, though, that they, like, assimilated into, like, a tribe. Mm-hmm. Like, that just seems the nicest. <laughs> it just seems like... But I, I don't know, because if that one guy was so, like, militant and, like, mm-hmm. disrespectful to the people that were already there, then perhaps they were just, like, a little pissed, and then they... Uh. Yeah. But I just think it's suspicious, like, that every single person disappeared. Right. Like I, I, you know, it is weird. Um, but then again, this is like, this is like, of England discovering this whole not discovering, but like for them, they're discovering this country. Like they don't know what everything is and like all the land and everything like that. So they could have just mm-hmm. come and been like, oh yeah, I can't find the bodies anywhere. But really, they're just like somewhere else. Stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they didn't check behind the uh, the forest or yeah. something. Seriously. Okay, so the next um, theory is actually a conspiracy. Excellent. That uh, John White actually did find the corpses of his family and colonizers in Roanoke. But that would have been a PR nightmare. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, so these trips were actually being privately funded. Um, and like I said, like the boat he used for the supply mission, it wasn't even his own. He borrowed it from someone who privately owned it. And so these financers were investing in building these colonies in the new world because it was supposed to be this huge, like, um, prosperous opportunity kind of thing. Sure. But if word got out that the entire colonies were found murdered, no one would ever want to go. So, so it's a cover-up. So it's a cover-up. So instead, John White and his crew members covered up the crime. They left it as an intriguing mystery so that they could assume like, oh, kind of what you were saying, like you want to assume the best. So maybe they just went off to live somewhere or maybe they joined a local native community. How nice. Um, That's so shady. I know. And then they would think it's like less of a risk, which is what happened because even though word got out that the colony disappeared people still considered america a place of prosperity and they they figured it was worth the risk and they founded more and more you know colonies after that and here we are and here we are so that is one theory honestly that one kind of makes sense to me i know it does but then i'm like well who would have the forethought really to think like 
I would just pretend like, that they maybe, were all alive. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I would but like. Maybe like, like they knew some, like I'm sure some of these people had family back in England. Like something yeah. was going to happen. Something was going to get out. So, but maybe he didn't want to cover it up. But when he went back to England, they were like, no, <laughs> like oh, no one can know. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. That's a good call. I only saw that in a couple of sources. Like that's kind of a lesser known theory, but I just thought it was really interesting that I didn't think about like having to do the marketing of colonizing a country. That sounded insane. Um, The next theory, I don't have any evidence for it, but some people think that maybe they attempted to sail themselves back to England and got lost at sea. So that would again explain why there's no one there because they just all got, but then it's like, well, where did, wouldn't there be a giant boat missing? I don't, I don't know. Unless they like built one or something. Yeah. Yeah. They did have three years. Um, another theory is that maybe there was a Spanish invasion. Like I said, um, England and Spain were at war during this time and there were, you know, other mm-hmm. colonies around that weren't owned by England. So maybe there was something like that. Again, there are no bodies. So that goes like with any other kind of murder theory or if the kidnap theory, whatever, like, it's just kind of no proof. Um, yeah. The next one is a very, very popular one. Many people okay. believe that the Roanoke colony was actually victim of an alien abduction. Classic. Because it, like, if you're going to leave and disappear, you they didn't go you know, anywhere on land. They had to have gone into the air into the sky <laughs> of course of so course. they just got sucked up by aliens and then people think that maybe that like marking on the map that was found was instead of a being a territory it was like where they found a spacecraft oh again literally no evidence for any of this but i mean it makes sense but it's it's like enticing yeah. i want to believe it it is the next one is actually my favorite one and it's so so crazy but i kind of think it makes sense okay okay the next theory this is my last one is that there was a zombie plague okay okay so a sudden plague of the undead so if you think about it and people were turning into cannibals like zombie cannibals they would be eating each other and like eating the bodies. So there would be no proof mm. of dead bodies or of life there. And I'm, if you think about it also, it's an island. So it's it's isolated. So if there's some kind of right. crazy disease plague thing going on, it could spread completely in the island and then die out because there's no one else there. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, there was no like, evidence of a disease but there was no people so um that would sorry keep going i don't want to like interrupt your thoughts no no okay so um so if there was like a cannibal epidemic it would be isolated and everyone would die out but maybe that's why there was only one skeleton found because he was the last one and if if you always have to have someone eating you if you're the last zombie to eat the last other person yeah then it's just you and then he would just die and that's 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 what i was gonna say but i didn't want to like steal your thunder so yeah that's kind of crazy so again there's no evidence and that's the like extent of the theory 
Um, the only thing, but the one body is a little. I know because no, nothing else explains the one body. But then I'm like, okay, well maybe they just like left someone behind as like a lookout, or someone like died accidentally. Mm. Like, I you don't. There's millions of ways they could have died. So much less fun. I know, but the one thing um with the zombie plague that doesn't really make sense, like the only hole in the whole theory, <laughs> is that yeah, the, um, the one single one. They t- constantly talk about conflict with like the indigenous native people on Roanoke Island and like they didn't mm-hmm. die from a zombie plague. But then maybe it's like that oh. whole immunity thing, you know, like e- England bringing smallpox over and it like killing everybody. Maybe so they were like, it was like the opposite imme- way. Like yeah. The indigenous people wouldn't get the zombie plague. I, I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I mean, maybe. <laughs> perhaps. I mean, it's not, it's not as far fetched. If you could come up some with some of our other theories, if you can come up with a better explanation, I'd be all ears, but that one just seems to, I mean, I mean check a lot of boxes. <laughs> I feel like when I think of Roanoke, I always think of some kind of like, questionable plague like that's like that's the that's the theory that's in my mind yeah not necessarily a zombie plague but i like the zombie plague now that now that i know it's a thing (laughs) i always hear yeah some kind of they were wiped out by disease i hear so many things Mm -hmm. like paranormal like the island was cursed and i mean yeah but everyone had bad luck going there but like they shouldn't have been going there to begin with like it was true you know not great so yeah i don't know interesting i love conspiracy theories (laughs) i know i like this story because it was a lot of history and i was telling katie before we started like i don't know anything about this history so it took a while to get the background down and like figure out the different even like the names of the different states over there i was like which state was that i don't know (laughs) what's the difference between virginia so there's so many over there too like it's not like the west coast where there are three (laughs) literally i know (laughs) yeah you did great i am hooked (laughs) i'm impressed so thank you i love the national treasure little cameo um yeah that's insane if anyone knows of any other cool things in history that have like crazy things like that like you know secret maps we're looking for national treasure vibes yes (laughs) we are um anyways katie speaking of treasure what wonderful things do you have to tell us i don't know if it has anything to do with treasure just okay it's, it's not very wonderful <laughs> um alrighty. so this is kind of funny and i don't know if i'm actually gonna let us keep this in the final cut but i i wanted to like introduce it like properly without like lying about my source so <laughs> i've been dating this guy and he's like really knowledgeable about music and music history so we were talking the other day and he brought up the 27 club i've heard of it okay so that's that's how i felt i was like okay i I know the name but like i I needed him to remind me what like it actually was but i feel like most people have heard the term so if you haven't it's basically a really tragic and unfortunate coincidence that many like really talented uh and prominent figures in the music industry have died at age 27 which leads to all sorts of conspiracies. Oh like, my gosh. is this really a coincidence? I mean, like, yes, but is it? But is like, it? yes. <laughs> um, so st- statistics say it is a coincidence. Um, <laughs> but 
the British Medical Journal does say that fame may increase the risk of death among musicians. Okay. But it's not limited to age 27. Right. So this is like science. This is medicine telling us this. In fact, uh, there are similar increases in deaths of people at age 25 and age 32 as well. Hmm. So it's just like unfortunate those ages, I guess. Maybe it's like the stages people are in in their lives at that time. Perhaps. Maybe like musicians, if they start at a certain age, they like peak their career when they're 27 and like something happens. Yeah. This is so exciting. You know. So (laughs) I've never like dove into this. I've just heard the term 27 club. and I know of like one person. I don't know anything else. Oh, well, I'm thrilled to kind of give you a, a little rundown. So... I mean, okay, science tells us it's not a thing, but I I do find it just like unsettling about how many musicians, as well as actors and athletes now, um, have died tragically, mysteriously, or both at age 27. So I don't, I, I don't want this to turn into like a me listing people who have died because that just feels like super bleak. We're gonna play um, um, a Sarah McLaughlin song in the background, like in the arms in the of the. <laughs> yeah um that's not what's gonna happen although i do think maybe we should start incorporating sound effects I think so so we don't have uh, to create, that, might be, that might be too much we don't have to create our own <laughs> with our mouths <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's an, that's enough um but yeah so that's not gonna happen uh we just gave you a peek of what it would look like and it was not good no, scratch um, that so what i'm gonna do is share a little bit of the history and how this took root as kind of like a cultural phenomenon and then I think what I'm going to do, actually, I know it's what I'm going to do, <laughs> is um, do a little investigation on one of these deaths, just one, that is not really as straightforward as you might think. Ooh. So, between 1969 and 1971, Brian Jones, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison all died at age 27. Wait, Jimi Hendrix so, died at age 27? Yes. Why do photos of him look so old? <laughs> That's a really great I question. I literally actually. thought he died when he was like in his fifties. I think though, like, well, I mean, there was a lot of like drugs involved yeah, in a lot of these people's yeah. lives, which I think for sure changes your appearance. You've seen those pictures mm-hmm. of like uh, arrest, arrest. What are those called? Mug shots. Mug yeah. shots where it's a rest shot. Yeah. It's like the where before it's like and you after. see them the first time and then like the last time you're like, holy smokes, that looks like a different person. Yeah, I guess being a rock star so in general just why. is like not the easiest lifestyle. No, it's a little exhausting. Um, yeah, but we've talked about this before. People were like super down with conspiracy theories in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. So it really doesn't surprise me that all like at all that people kind of like drew their own conclusions about this. Um, you know, like they raised some eyebrows, but it wasn't until Kurt Cobain's death in 1994 at age 27 that the 27 Club began to spark some serious public interest. And this really happened after his mom, Wendy, gave an interview saying, now he's gone and joined that stupid club. I told him not to join that stupid club. So naturally, a whole bunch of people thought she was referring to the 27 Club, However, others think that she might have been referring to his two uncles and great uncle who had also committed suicide. Oh, so pick, sad. Yeah, it is sad. Um, 
So I guess you can pick whichever theory you think fits what you believe most. Um, but based on his mother's interview, people definitely think that this is like something he had maybe planned, like so that he could join the 27 Club. Like maybe he like thought it over with his mom, like he discussed the pros and cons. I don't know. Clearly she was trying to dissuade him from doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the real motive is unclear. In 2011, Amy Winehouse also died at the age of 27, which, again, lit a fire under this idea that the 27 Club is not a coincidence, particularly because when she was 24, so three years before, she had had expressed like a fear of dying at age 27. So people think something's going on here. Okay, that's... As you can imagine. That's the only one that I knew. I knew Amy Winehouse died when she was 27. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But... Okay, this is so, like, weird. You know, do you listen to Juice World at all? Like, no, okay. but, like, I know so, what's up. So he died, yeah, right, from a drug overdose, like, last year. Mm-hmm. And then this year they released a ton of his old music that he recorded right before he died. And in right. those songs he was talking about, like, I don't remember what, the, what it's called, but he basically is like, yeah, Legends legends die young and then they live forever and he's like i'm gonna die soon like i'm on drugs all this kind of stuff and then he like legit dies and then they release that music so i feel like that's probably kind of what amy winehouse was experiencing like you know you're on a bad path and you have to express it because you need help but you don't you know it's more of like a joking kind of you know relatable way that's the only way you can really ask for yeah you can't just be like please help me yeah you have to make light of the situation when you're in the public eye like that Mm -hmm. so maybe something like that i don't know it's just very unfortunate and sad um and it's just it's bizarre it's bizarre is all i can say um so as you can imagine beyond these people that I've already mentioned, there is a full and very lengthy list of 27 club members, um, and many of their deaths were substance or suicide related. But the one that I found particularly, particularly peculiar was that of Brian Jones, the founder and former lead of the Rolling Stones. So have you ever heard of this? No. I mean, I've heard of the Rolling Stones, but yeah, <laughs> not Brian so, Jones. He is a member of the 27 Club. And the official story goes, um, in June of 1969, Jones was fired by the Rolling Stones, and he was pretty swiftly replaced by Mick Taylor. So that's also probably part of the reason why you don't totally know, mm-hmm. because he was fired, okay. unfortunately. Yeah. And so just about a month later, so July of 1969... Despite being a strong swimmer, Brian Jones was found lifeless at the bottom of his swimming pool at his farm. (gasps) What? Suspicious. And the coroner ruled that he had died due to a drug haze, which eventually led to his drowning. And he had spent the night of his death with his girlfriend, Anna Wolin, I think, um, and two other friends, one of whom was a builder named Frank Thorogood. And you know how it goes. We kind of talked about with this with like the Paul is dead Beatles conspiracy theory. Like fanfare just blows things way out of proportion. So obviously people have their thoughts about what really went down that night. Um, so what I'm hoping everyone can do is just kind of like suspend reality for the next like, I don't know, 10 minutes and go with the belief that this was not an accident. 
and I'll just, I'll get into it. I'll get into some of the thoughts here. So Janet Lawson, she was the other person in attendance that night, ended up, this, this part was a little confusing to me. It doesn't totally make sense how it happened, but she ended up getting in contact with private investigators like years later, and she learned a different version of events than the public knew, I guess. Mm. So apparently, according to the actual autopsy, like not the coroner, the autopsy, no drugs were present in Jones's system. Wait, sorry. What is the difference between a coroner? Well, the coroner is like the person. Okay. The autopsy is like the actual. Oh, the report. Report. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the Oh, so he's saying that the report he gave is not the report that was released. No. Or like the report that like the the official autopsy report is not what the coroner said. Okay. Yeah. So the coroner said there's drugs here. The autopsy that I guess the investigators found or had Mm -hmm. says there were no drugs. Gotcha. Okay. And after we find this out, Janet modifies her statement. So now she claims that Jones and Thoroughgood were like messing around in the pool the night that he died. So like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to feed into the conspiracy theory, but like, I can't think of a single good reason why your story would change like that. Actually, maybe like trauma, but I feel like you just don't misremember someone taking drugs when they didn't. Okay. Unless she was super drugged out. I feel like I could see an explanation for this. Is that a, like, okay. If I'm, I'm all ears. Okay. I didn't know if you were going to like say something, but um, I feel like if she was playing around, messing around in the pool and he died, right? And maybe she was on drugs. Maybe she wasn't. She's probably worried that mm-hmm. she's going to be some kind of like, implicated guilt of like him dying so she might say Mm -hmm. like oh yeah like oh he was on drugs it was a total accident like it was all him and then maybe the coroner is like yep seems like drugs but then the actual tests and things come back as like no drugs and once that gets released she's like oh no they know that like i lied and Yeah. yeah this is what happened or whatever it just like for sure makes you look guilty if you change your story. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Or at least just so just suspicious. I don't know. Yeah, suspicious. There's something suspicious going on. Um so Anna, the girlfriend, the other woman present that night, claims in two thousand five, so this is we've got a lot of years, we've got a lot of distance between all this, that Thoroughgood, the the other man, so there were four people who the public knew were present on that night two women two men um thoroughgood may have accidentally killed jones while they were messing around in the pool and apparently he made no effort to try to revive jones as he died and lawson the janet lawson the one who i was just talking about she also ended up making similar claims later in life saying that thoroughgood entered the house shaking so the way i'm imagining this is like maybe the ladies were in the house Mm -hmm. i don't know thoroughgood comes in he's shaking and she's quoted saying that when she ultimately saw that Brian was at the bottom of the pool, quote, Frank initially did nothing. See, yeah, so this is like, sounds like she was covering it up at first of being like, yep, drugs, and then had to change her story. So my question is, though, like, why would you cover for Frank? Because like, they were having an affair. What do you get for covering know. for Frank? <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Um, and in a 2013 interview, I'm kind of going back and forth between like who, what, who's talking, but Anna, the girlfriend, this is a a quote from an article I saw. They said that she wondered aloud. And then this is what she said. If Frank meant to kill Brian, 
Maybe it was horseplay in the pool that went wrong. But I knew all along he did not die a natural death. I'm still sure of it. So with that, it kind of sounds like it was one of those things where she knows that Frank killed Brian mm-hmm. and she like kind of accidentally let it slip. Like, well, if he meant to kill Brian, but like... She's clearly like suspicious of his motives or his involvement. Like mm-hmm. she knows something's up. She knows something's up. Um, so Tom Keelock, the Rolling Stones road manager, also accused Thorogood Frank in 1994. And he said that um, supposedly he confessed to killing Brian Jones on his deathbed, apparently saying it was me that did Brian. I just finally snapped. Hmm. So, with all of that information, people believe the motive for this was money-related, um, as Thorogood was doing some building work for Jones, and apparently the two had gotten into, like, an argument about, like, quality of work, or money being paid, etc. And UltimateClassicRock.com suggests that Thorogood had actually been fired from, like, the, his building job on the day of Jones' death, which oh. seems like you call that a motive to me. Yeah. This doesn't sound like a mystery anymore. I feel like we figured this out. (laughs) Okay. But here's where it gets a little crazy. Keylock, this this guy who basically he says Thorogood admitted Mm -hmm. it to me, claims that his brother, a senior Scotland Yard officer, told him that Jones' death was ordered to be a cover-up after mistakes by local police. And there's this quote here where he said, quote, I think the police wanted to make a manslaughter charge, but they were told to forget it. The only one who could possibly have been charged was Frank Thorogood. But because he was the only one in the pool. Oh, nope. Was Frank Thorogood because he was the only one in the pool. But the police said, just forget it. The orders came from the very top not to pursue it anymore. And it was never pursued after that. Oh. So something a little sus is going on there as well. Yeah, it goes all the way to the top. It goes all the way to the top. But then Keylock, who's this guy who's giving all of this incriminating information about Thorogood, later admits in an interview to being present on the night of, although he had long maintained that he was away on an errand. So because of this inconsistency, people believe that he actually murdered Jones and threatened to kill the witnesses if they incriminated him. And this was largely supported by the notion that after investigators interviewed the two women who were there, they got the sense that both of them were afraid to testify against Keylock. Mm. He also apparently acted super suspicious after Brian's death, like he was removing or destroying items at the house. That's a suspicious thing to do. Like, Do you think he and Thorogood did it together? Like, perhaps, because they both, like, yeah. maybe, like, maybe and then he once thorogood died he like reveals yeah, he, like, that he threw him under the bus to it to try to clear his own name yeah <sighs> i don't know it's very suspicious to me i didn't write this down but i feel like it's important information to volunteer the manager i believe of the rolling stones ended up doing like a private investigation because he didn't trust the police mm-hmm. and that investigation the only suspect in it was keylock who's Oh, second suspect. So there's a lot of question here. Um, And this is still, I mean, since since his death, it's been 51 years now. But in 2009, Sussex police almost reopened the case after 
fresh evidence was brought up by an investigative journalist named Scott Jones. I don't know what the evidence was, but they ultimately concluded that, quote, there is no new evidence to suggest the coroner's original verdict of death by misadventure is incorrect. So, I don't know. This is a problem with, like, theories. Like, I don't really have any (laughs) real answers for you. Um, We've got, like, a lot of angles working here. And now, all of the key players have passed away. Mm -hmm. So, we don't... (laughs) There's nothing we can really do about it. But one thing is certain. Like, we just... Well, we're not going to know. We can speculate all we want. But it seems likely that there's just, like, a deeply rooted cover up here whether that's on the part of like the people that were there that night or the criminal justice system i think it's everybody i simply don't I think know everyone who was there killed him together and then they got the police in on it and then they got like all the way up to the government and now everyone's covering it up and they did it all just to sell rolling stones records <laughs> honestly that's like <laughs> brutal well so here's the interesting thing um when they introduced their new guitarist they were supposed to have like a special concert, but because he literally died like three days before the concert, oh it ended gosh. up being like this huge tribute to him. Yeah. So like, I mean, was it a publicity thing? Like, Ugh. like a planned, terrible, terrible planned publicity thing. But moral of the story is nobody thinks it's an accident except for well, the official records. Okay, but maybe they said there was no drugs, but like if you're getting replaced and you're you're coming up to your, you know, replacement ceremony and you're getting kicked out of the band <laughs> that you started, like and yeah. you're already on drugs, like maybe he just, you know, went too far and maybe. Oh, it's so hard to know. It is. And he has a daughter who, if I'm understanding correctly, didn't know that he was her father until like 2002. Um, But she's done quite a bit of independent research and investigation. And she is certain that her father was murdered. Um, And as of last year, which was the 50th anniversary of his death, she was like still campaigning to have the case reopened. So, yeah, things are intense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Things are really intense. I don't know what to think, Olivia. (laughs) Well, I'm just thinking, I'm like calculating. We have five years left until either of us are in the 27 club. So, okay, we've got to make it through that. (laughs) We just have to live. It's like when you turn 20 and everyone's like, you beat teen pregnancy. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to turn 28 and be like, woo, we survived. (laughs) Yeah, we beat the 27 club. See, everyone says there's no fun birthdays after you turn 25, but like, hello, 28 is the most exciting year it's the important one it's the big one (laughs) um well thank you for listening to me i i don't know it was it was an interesting here's actually if i'm being super honest i might be misremembering this but do you remember the nancy drew movie with yeah uh, emma Emma, i love that movie yeah isn't there like isn't the whole mystery that she's trying to solve about like an actress that drowned in her pool yes but I think it's like based off of Marilyn Monroe. Okay, well, I was inclined to investigate this because of that movie. <laughs> oh my gosh, you know it's so funny. So while you were telling the story, I was like thinking about it. I was like, this is like this is dr- the celebrity in the pool. It reminds me of that movie. Like I thought of that too. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, yep. oh, I should do 
Marilyn Monroe. So I literally I mean, yeah. wrote in the tracker for next week. <laughs> but then I was like, okay, oh, well, well maybe, maybe Katie should because you already did all the research on celebrity no, pool No, I would love if you, I would love if you did that. Uh, oh, I was also going to ask, did you tell that guy that you're seeing about your Beatles uh, conspiracy? I did, actually. What are his thoughts? And I, well, it's funny because I was like, you know uh, how people think that uh, like Paul McCartney died and he's like, the Paul is dead conspiracy. And I was like, oh yeah, my that's gosh. One. So I think he just knows more about it probably <laughs> than I do anyway. Uh, but I told him about the episode. Uh, so everyone that hasn't listened to that episode, it's a pretty good one. Twinkies is, are involved. That is, that's like one of my favorite episodes, I think. I remember felt like recording that mm-hmm. one. It was a good one. It just felt fun. Yeah. It wasn't fun, but it felt it fun. Felt fun. <laughs> oh, God. Well, um, but yeah, that's all I have for you guys today. I love that this 20. Okay. You know what else the 27 Club reminds me of? What? Do you know on, I think it's like ABC or Freeform or whatever, um, at certain hours, it turns into this program called the 700 Club. What? Okay, this is actually kind of an interesting story. Let me just double check what um, channel it's on. But essentially, yeah, please. the 700 Club is this like Christian program. It's re- this religious thing. Um, it's, yeah, it's m- guests, news, music, testimonies, and spiritual stories from a Christian perspective. And it's wow. on, I think it's on what used to be ABC Family, what's now Freeform. But when they signed their contract, for like that channel they said they gave them that time slot indefinitely like they will forever (laughs) own it and now it's like this incredibly valuable time slot it's like worth millions and millions and millions of dollars what time is it Uh, i can't remember but it's like i think it's so disney i think owns the channel now and they can't they can't get that they can't buy it because that's insane the contract was indefinite like they will always own it and obviously it's worth so much that you know if they Disney could, they would buy it. Oh, but for sure. They I don't know what channel it's on. That's very interesting. Yeah. So whenever you say twenty seven club, yeah, it's on freeform. So <laughs> hmm. yeah, I don't know what time it's on though. But it's it's like really late at night or really early in the morning. I remember being a kid and like if it was a time of day where I normally would not be watching TV. Maybe it was like during school or something. It was like a time I would not be watching. And then I'd be like, oh, go watch TV. And then it would be the 700 Club. I'd be like, oh, God. (laughs) Lame. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. I'll have to check it out. Maybe they're related. Maybe that was the club that Kurt Cobain joined. (laughs) Maybe. His mom really didn't want him to. Yeah. Oh, man. So good. Well, I love... This was a lengthy one. We, How did that happen? I know, because we had two mysteries. And I've told you before, my mom... I love mysteries. My mom complains sometimes when we don't tell mysteries, because she's like, well, it doesn't fit with your theme. And I'm like, we're not a mystery podcast. She's like, well, then why do you tell so many mysteries? Oh well, so, today we're a mystery podcast. Yeah, this podcast. one goes out for my mom. We told you lots of mysteries. Hope you're very unsatisfied Woo. having no answers. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Um, you can check us out on Instagram and for sure, definitely this time actually go to our Instagram if you're listening because you we're going to have some pretty cool stuff up there. Thanks to it's Katie. It's going to be so good. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm super excited. You can follow us at Deviant Little Darlings. You can also DM us or comment on there. 
Um, if you have any cool stories or even things that you don't know that much about, but you like heard of, um, you can email us. Please. Yeah. Tell us it's at deviantlittledarlings at gmail.com and we'll do the, uh, mediocre research for you. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. And if you feel like you want to listen to us somewhere else, we are on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, and Anchor.fm slash DeviantLittleDarlings. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll be here next week. Bye.